Welcome to the After Hours feed of Extended Clip, the 13th of such episodes. Wow. Friday, the 13th. <laughs> that's that's scary. This is a haunted file. Uh, the film that we're talking about today to counter our middle-brow uh, American double features that we've been doing all month, we've been, you know, looking for something else to talk about on the <laughs> bonus episodes. We're talking about Battle in Heaven. The 2005 film by Carlos Regatas and Malcolm, you you brought this film to the table. Why, of all the films <laughs> in the history of cinema, why was it this one? Well, I got I had a couple reasons. I knew I I didn't really know much about this movie going in, which I think was a good idea. But um, I knew it was going to be kind of abrasive and kind of downer, and kind of the opposite of like a James L. Brooks movie. And, you know, even an Albert Brooks movie. And uh, I just wanted that energy. I want that feel-bad energy because we like movies that make you feel good, but we also like movies that make you feel bad. And that's what I wanted to do here. Had you seen any of his other films? No, I haven't. I haven't. And it was also was influenced by, I, I saw, like, Harmony Kareem gets asked by a lot of magazines, like, what's your favorite movie? And he always lists this. And I, tr- I tried looking it up to see if he wrote about it or expressed like anything about it the only there's only one sentence he said about it he said this movie's next level (laughs) (laughs) i agree with him what did you think about it jt uh it is next level i mean uh well i mean i think the elephant in the room is getting your dick sucked (laughs) yeah as jt (laughs) puts my sister's pillow (laughs) over his crotch (laughs) uh, spooning i can't i can't uh get up right now I'm gonna. Just I like out of the film. I just wanna. Yeah, I'm gonna have to to stick around after a little bit. Uh, but no, no, no. Um, yeah, that uh, was what like in doing the little preliminary research that I do about these movies when I don't know what they are. It's uh, I don't know. This is what caught my attention. Um, and like props to like, cause these are non, uh, professional actors props to this. Just like fat dude, just showing his hog. Oh yeah. Like dude. not really an impressive hog kind of ugly in the second blowjob. There's where some we... shots where Ray Goddess kind of gives him some artistic freedom. Yeah. <laughs> artistic <laughs> license rather. Yeah. You know, at the fat guys too, you know, you push down that fat, there might be a hidden inch there. So this isn't just like a blowjob movie either. That's no. the thing. Cause I don't want to fall for what every critic True. fucking did. Yeah. Because no, nobody could get past the fucking fact that there's unsimulated oral sex in this movie. That's why I wanted to get it out of the way. First and foremost, we yeah. just, mm-hmm. there's the dick suck, that happens not even that much of the film or like it doesn't bear much like impact on the rest of it it's just some it's a neat thing that happens yeah well yeah it's kind of the the, the framing device of the film yeah. and it's what you can do in the thoughts you have between sucks uh <laughs> Marcos and his wife, you know, work for, I guess, the military police general uh, running these like kidnapping scams, you know, uh, and when a child dies on their watch, uh, Marcos's life begins to crumble as he you know, drives around the general's daughter and considers turning himself in and does a lot of reflecting with the help of Regatus's form, which allows for a lot of like interiority of character through you know, long takes, sound design, his very exacting, but st- still kind of loose feeling compositions, mm-hmm. especially the ones within those point of view shots that kind of dominate certain segments of this film. Yeah, I don't know. It really took me aback. His style matched with this 
uh, very explicit content uh, is very saucy. <laughs> it is, yeah, I mean, so- something like the, I guess it's a subway terminal that like him and his wife sell like cakes and various things in. Cakes and clocks. Cakes and clocks. You got it. It's a one-stop shop for yeah. sure. But <laughs> such a formerly impressive scene where, I mean, at first, like, I, you know, it's funny going in that scene because the way he, Regage shoots it, you get like very close shots of um, the main character and his wife and stuff. So much so to where I'm like, is there a table here? Like, yeah. what? What are they selling these things on? And it turns out to be a blanket on the ground. Well, there's a lot of great establishing shots throughout, but that scene does just start on that kind of medium close up on them too. And it's not even like a gimmicky, you know, zoom out or anything like that. It's just you kind of slowly uh, get a hold of the environment around them from that nucleus of them working their little stand at the subway platform uh, throughout the entirety of this movie you get to see more of a this culture as it is in 2005 or at least as regattas uh depicts it and how he depicts you know the ruling class just like running kidnapping scams and having boutique sex slavery yeah. operations being a prostitute you know just for no reason yeah just for yeah. the kicks which you know yeah respects that's good. Or, or she's culturally appropriating sex work as someone who doesn't need to do it. We saw what the Bella Thorne situation that was hey, controversial. It's true. A member of the ruling elite media class, which hey, that's just as bad as the military, in my opinion. Anna, kind of. I mean, this is one thing I just want to get off my chest. She kind of looks like Dasha Nekrasova with dreads. Yeah, that was running through my head huh. a lot. Yeah, the the white dread podcaster is definitely like her in 15 years. It's really <laughs> a bad thing to think about, and I advise that we all stop thinking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> After a couple Burning Man sessions. But uh, yeah, that airport seems crazy because, um, I mean, the delivery of information, you know, the, the killing of the kid. I mean, you know, as throughout a lot of this movie, our main character is pretty affectless. And uh, yeah. like you said, the formalism, uh, you know, begs for, you know, the interiority, you know, the the pain that he's going through in his mind. And then I love when um, he go, he walks off and we see, you know, a slight interaction between his wife and a customer. And then the camera like follow, like plays catch up with him and walks the same path he does. And you hear all these different sound textures of the airport different like layered in such a realistic way to like especially when like uh the camera goes outside and you start hearing like this mexican hip-hop music it's such um it feels like free-flowing it doesn't it's not ever like searching for meaning in a way that feels um i don't know obnoxious like it's not it's not really concerned for like what's gonna trigger like these formalistic Uh, tricks i'm trying to do here yeah well i mean like if you're trying to get at meaning and someone's thoughts how they're racing through their head as they just take this kind of empty walk through a crowded city street there's not much formally you can do beyond what ray goddess is doing here Mm -hmm. uh because then the gimmick becomes obvious or it becomes a gimmick you know and i think the point of view shots in this do really well to avoid gimmickry like there's even some footstep simulation at some point which is like okay you know uh (laughs) but like the the shakiness is kept to a minimum i think he is very aware of keeping the compositions very kind of pristine even when he's going handheld mode which is something that a lot of art house filmmakers don't really have the license or 
have the license to do but don't for some reason you know thinking about other kind of art house provocateurs that come to mind from this like Lars von Trier or something you know the sense of composition is just nowhere to be found compared to this film uh the pristine quality of the images like for me it just adds to like this distance uh that it has where it's like it's such a cold and dark movie that's so beautiful but like and is so obsessed with sort of like uh, the brutality of the initial like act that we don't really see the like child dying and just like I don't know by lingering on like moments of life like when uh, Marcos will see like kids or something or will sort of like trail off when he's in the midst of another activity it just like by holding on that as opposed to I mean aside from like when he like stabs and kills Anna, like there's the brutality is pretty sparse. A lot of it is just sort of like left with your thoughts and Mm -hmm. just sort of lingering there in the air. Yeah. It's a very atmospheric movie and outside of the more shocking scenes, I guess it feels more akin with like, just like, I guess, typical art house, uh, very contemplative character study movies, you know, Mm -hmm. And it feels kind of weird to see how dismissed this was because of the elements that wouldn't have been in one of those movies in the 60s, like an unsimulated blowjob or whatever. And I think it really is just like, I hate to be one of those guys complaining about Puritanism, uh, but I really think people could not get past uh, just seeing two people that don't look like movie stars have sex with, you know, this man and his wife who are, you know, uh, a, a heavy set couple, just a very normal couple that you would see walking down the street. And uh, people are just repulsed by this and they think it's disgusting and that like Ray Goddess is maybe playing some sort of mean joke on these uh, non-actors who are vulnerable enough to show their body. But I think the ones playing the mean joke are the critics who made fun of these people's bodies. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. Like scanning the Letterboxd review, so much of it is just like really abusive stuff where it's like, I was repulsed by these bodies. And it's just like... They're projecting their own, like, I don't know, dissatisfaction with seeing, like, normal people mm-hmm. be, like, sexually intimate on screen, like, in, onto regattas. And I don't think, like, he's going for that, like, at all. It's just, like, these acts, like, take place in amidst, like, other, like, brutality. And it's just, yeah. I, I don't know. It, there's a real intimacy to seeing it that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, feels personal. Now, I mean, I feel like a lot of what the main character is trying to do is to not deal with himself and to kind of dehumanize himself in a way. And, you know, he has that daunting task of, you know, wanting to turn himself in. You know, that's a it's a hard decision to do. And I, you know, just the times where he just lays there, or he has sex or just anything. This is just another way to waste time to not be himself, to, you know, be outside of himself. And, uh, you know, it's something like, you know, the sex scene with the wife, you know. I mean, hey, have your people have sex too. Get used to it. <laughs> and then the scene where he has sex with the general's daughter, I feel like it definitely makes an effort to strip away any sort of romanticism in comparison to the other sex scene, which is equally kind of, 
I guess austere, almost robotic, just like the thrusting of bodies, and that's all it really is. The guilt too. I mean, as yeah. he looks at the the, the Jesus, Jesus painting, yeah. and then the second time though, yeah, you get that pan outside, and the sound design follows as the camera just looks around the neighborhood to see whatever everyone else is up to while they're having sex. Because you know we don't need to always be watching. Yeah, I mean, and it's also I think it's trying to like this is I mean obviously this is not very romantic sex. This is not a they're not making love per se. I mean, this is a fucked up situation where you have someone, you know, the the main character who's been, you know, taking care of Anna, the, the woman he's having sex with since she was a child. And now they're, you know, finally doing it. It's not that's not even really focused on. But it's just, you know, this is a it's not happy stuff. You know, like you said, nothing we need to watch. Let's go look outside for a yeah. second. I like when it finally comes back into that bedroom and it just then cuts to uh footage from a liga mx uh football game you know uh you get some great like on the ground footage they just went and shot a league championship match i guess and uh, it's shot with a lot of like intensity and just like cool shit for people who like soccer you know uh i i really liked that scene and also how it you know kind of transitioned from just like feeling like you're in the middle of that game to then slowly being kind of like the TV broadcast as you see the interview take place. And then you just cut back to uh, Marcos watching it on TV and stroking his cock to the result of his favorite team finally winning the championship while his family is waiting in the car with the family of the child that died on his watch. Yeah, I think I think there's something there's something political Ray Goddess is getting at here, too, with like the kind of the parade, the nationalistic uh, Mexico ceremony that, you know, parades through the entire movie and him like jerking off to like, you know, Mexican soccer finally being successful. It is, it is kind of like uh, this Marcos and the main character is kind of going through the motions of all of these, these nationalistic processes and finding nothing in it, you know, whatsoever. I yeah. mean, and it's, it's, it's a pretty explicit, uh, you know, message too. I mean, one of the first uh, shots is a huge Mexican flag being put up, but it's never put up straight, you know, in yeah. proper flag fashion. We only see it folded up and rippling on each other. I mean, I think that's a testament to like the skill of the filmmaking is that like not knowing like a great deal about mm-hmm. like Mexican culture and like government. It like makes the point like pretty apparent about like how Marcos sort of like uh, the government corruption and just sort of like that uh, contrasted with like the very religious like Christian culture mm-hmm. has sort of like those two cannot coexist together and that has sort of like drives him mad and insane and uh, like loses it all I think uh, I don't know there's a lot of really powerful images there I mean when he when he uh, when he goes off when you know the scene that follows after the soccer masturbation scene which is very perplexing i do have to it is a big uh curveball so yeah. to speak but then he goes I think it's just a joke no of course of course yeah. but it's a it that it's a curveball of a joke yeah um he goes in to you know with that van with the the family of the child that him and his wife had accidentally killed and they go out to some field and marcos doesn't go back with the family when they go back he walks off into the field into the abyss of fog and then you see him, you know, walking around. Then, like, he gets on top of this hill right next to this crucifix, and it looks like the very Catholic, uh, you know, three crosses surrounding Jesus. And I think he positioned himself as one of the sinners next to Jesus. You know, just some classic Malikian. 
Christian imagery. I mean, when he is just like going into that fog, it's just some of the most breathtaking filmmaking, you know, mm-hmm. like he first you have his wife telling him, you know, you, you can't snitch, you can't, you know, and they're just out in that field and you see the fog kind of approaching and he's kind of just zoning out at that point. A lot of what the women in this film say to Marcos is completely in one ear out the other. <laughs> just, uh, we stand a zoning out King. <laughs> uh, but as he just like disappears into the fog and those textures just like enrapture him and bring him to this other kind of metaphysical plane or what feels like it would be some sort of other metaphysical plane. And then slowly you realize it's still just grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And he's just able to use filmmaking form to kind of create mysticism out of just being out in a field and contemplating your sins, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it. I mean, to go back to the sex scene between Marcos and Anna, the way that wraps up when we co- come back into the window and, like you get this overhead shot of that you know you get a great two shot literal two shot of just a pussy and his dick literally yeah. softening in front of you <laughs> post coitus which is very rarely do you see the process of the deflation of the erection <laughs> yeah and the I, erection I, I think i read this in a review i think it was a wesley morris review but he's like uh you might as well just slap a couple toe tags on him already they're already look dead as fuck and it's like it is I think that's a a clever line I wanted to bring to the podcast. Yeah. I think the lack of life in that boutique uh, sex house is very apparent. You know, you have that guy whose dad is bringing him there. He's wearing a Zinedine Zidane jersey and his dad's like patting him on the back. One of the girls is like, do you need your dad to help you come? (laughs) It's like, geez, man, this place sucks. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's relent like that. I mean, I think a lot of we like this movie because it's relentless and it's like completely unconcerned about audience reception mm-hmm. and very, very willing to be the prickly, unenjoyable, you know, guy getting a blowjob movie. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in terms of that, like decayed and sort of hollowed out nature. I mean, before Marcos kills Anna, he like pisses himself and just like that's just so disgusting yeah crazy and like kind of scary like it is like the way he just stands in the hallway and then you see him piss itself it is like some horror moment right there yeah no i think that's the clear pivot from art house to genre and it also has that typical like art house movie logic of like a horror movie or whatever where it's just like yeah, let's just see him do this and then this and then this. And it's not really structured the way the third act of a horror movie usually is. Yeah. But I think it works really well with the filmmaking where, yeah, he goes out in the hall after having sex with Anna and then he pees himself and then he goes and kills her. And then he gets a bag put over his head and he's just like, quote unquote, saved by religion for a lot of the third act as, you know, these people are just guiding him through the street with this religious ceremony that ends up with him at a church bleeding out with a bag over his head while his wife is leading the police around to God knows where for a while before they finally track him down. When it's too late, he's dead. I mean, I think that's that's great. And it kind of touches on the religious aspect of the whole film. It's like. All right, he gives himself to religion. Let's see how this thing works. And it ends up just harming him in ways that, you know, kills him. And, yeah. and like, I mean, yeah, that, that procession from uh, the sidewalk to the church of just him crawling on his hands and knees and, you know, the asphalt with the bag over his head, falling down, cracking his head open and just keep it on going. It's, you know, it's great and, you know, brutal stuff. And more so than just like the, because yeah, you get that second bit of blowjob footage at the very end. But more than that being the framing is, 
the framing of women crying over him yeah. <laughs> because there's nothing they can do about this man leading a terrible life. You know, uh, the, the first shot at the end of the blowjob scene, that's the last time I'm saying blowjob on this podcast, by the way, uh, where, you know, uh, Anna's tear kind of wipes away some of the makeup that she has on her face, you know, and then at the very end, you have his wife discovering his body, just like knocking it over to see if he's alive and the dead corpse just fucking falls over. Pretty funny. Good sound yeah. effect. Uh, but then she just cries over it. And it's just like, fuck, this sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, the ending, which I, I don't even oh, quite yeah. get where you just have three men ringing a church bell that doesn't ring. Yeah. The and sound of rain and sorrow drowns out the church bells as they, you know, go through a futile game that results in, you know, nothing. It made me, <laughs> I like, I loved it, but it made me feel very uneasy. Like, I definitely, I had my headphones on watching this movie too, and I was just like cranking them up as loud as I could. I was like, I, maybe the sound mix is bad. I gotta hear these bells. I gotta hear these bells. <laughs> and then you realize that's the point, baby. Yeah, I mean the the abs like that's what's great about Regattas. I mean, like he does delve into horror, but not most of this isn't scary, rather just unpleasant. But yeah. it is like there are moments where he does like he pushes that unsettling to points where it's not even like explicit, but it is like just uh, not hearing the ring of a bell, no longer finding the you know seeing the joy in life. I don't know. I mean, it's unpleasant, but also like I feel like very direct. Yeah. It's not like. I don't know, an art house style thing where it's like it's unpleasant but rambling. You're not sure like what it's getting at. Yeah. It coheres into something that is like very clearly pointed mm -hmm. and like working towards something, but like not explicit enough where the uh digressions into like more mystical moments feel like bullshit. They feel very earnest and you're just sort of sitting there with the unpleasantness throughout the whole thing. He knows how to toe the line. He knows when, you know, enough is enough. And it's also pretty fucking funny in a lot of yeah, spots. Yeah. Like it uh, I read on the Wikipedia, a really funny entry on Wikipedia for this. The entirety of like the production side of it just says like like Robert Bresson, he uses uh, unprofessional actors. Unlike Robert Bresson, he uses explicit sex scenes. <laughs> it's funny because you ever see uh, Une Femme Deuce? You got some boobs in that yeah. one, if I recall correctly. Yes, sir. Uh, anyhow, uh, it, it didn't remind me of Bresson, though. No. It reminded me of Aki Kurzmaki in the humor of it. It's like that kind of austere art house humor that's cut with like either really depressing scenarios in Kurzmaki's films or really depraved scenarios in this film, which are also very depressing. You know? yeah. <laughs> depraved and depressing. The yeah. regatta star. I was, <laughs> I was looking up like what Regattas thought him thought about this film himself. And he, he considers considers it like the, the bastard child or kind of like his, not a misfire, he, but what he said, this is my problem child. Problem child. Yes, sir. So we love <laughs> it. I love <laughs> it from there. <laughs> He's, damn, he's on his Dugan shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Problem child. Oh, me? I just want to say that Marcos jacking off to soccer is me right now. I'm getting really into sports, and I'm you know I'm getting real sports pilled. And well, I think this movie uses sports really well, though, as just like a signpost of mass culture, kind yeah, of. Yeah. 
uh, it's just like, you know, the soccer stadium is just as crowded as the most crowded streets that he wanders down. And it's just as intense with like weirdly national, it seems seemingly nationalistic pride, even though it's for a team here, but you know, soccer gets into that too with national teams playing each other. Um, and I think that that's used really well here. Usually I don't like sports in art movies. Usually it's just dumb and they don't get what the sport is, but this and like, uh, what's that Jafar Panahi one offside? Yeah. Offside. That one's really cool too. Mm -hmm. I watched that in like the first film class I ever took at college (laughs) of the canyons. Uh, I think both are like using soccer as just kind of this signpost as like mass of mass culture really well. And, uh, for art house movies like that, you know, you use something really general like that and every stylistic maneuver feels like a comment on it. You Mm -hmm. know, you're in that zone when you're a good art house filmmaker where every kind of stylistic tendency you go for, uh, has some sort of meaning and isn't just wanking it as the haters (laughs) would assume. Uh, and I think Ray Goddess pulls that off pretty well in this. I mean, no, the imagery is, you know, I, I, I said, it's like, it's not searching. It's not desperate for a search for meaning, but it has a, you know, very basic, almost yeah, just like a film effect level where, I mean, think about the scene where he first picks up Ava and you have that long scene of just him, you know, looking towards the road as he hears Ava talk to her, you know, her boyfriend, you know, so tenderly. And you, you could just imagine he doesn't quite have this type of relationship mm-hmm. in his life. And then when it finally decides, you know, to spin over to Anna, it's just as impactful, you know? I mean, it's the classic... Uh, this movie's not slow, but it's like, you know, when you don't move the camera a lot, whenever you do, it feels much more impactful. And I think Ray Goddess realizes that and uses that to great effect. Mm-hmm. I think that also the edit, like he does definitely prefer long takes here. And that's why I think when you get those consecutive close-ups in the post-coitus segment of the film, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the most tightly edited part of it, uh, it really has those images sink in. And I think, you know, we were saying that the critics were so hung up and even the audiences perhaps were so hung up on the explicit parts, but I think Ray goddess is being a little bit of a joker. No, yeah, definitely being a little bit of a joker making like the way that that scene is edited in particular and the very victorious use of blowjob footage after the cut to black. Cause frankly, I was a little disappointed with that. I, I was like cut to black perfect ending you know the church bells that you can't hear he wrapped it up yeah, he moved on to the next plane and then he brought you back to reality after he faded to black with a little bit more blowjob footage and a fantastic reverse shot uh from anna's pov to just him making a funny face <laughs> yeah i mean i, I kind of don't dislike that but the bell stuff is better for yeah. sure the bell- yeah that would have made it a four and a half for me honestly if it ended yeah. on the bells but the that made it stick a little too in my craw as him being a joker, but it's like still a fucking great film. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, maybe he's just thinking perfect bookends, right? You start with exactly. it. Might as well end with it. But yeah, the bell, I mean, hey, maybe the, throw a little of those bells in the beginning. I was going to yeah. say the bell, the, now that I'm thinking about it, the bells are kind of like it's haunting great. and some of the best stuff I've seen in a while. I keep wanting like, to like touch my ear. I'm thinking about <laughs> it. And I can like kind of yeah. hear it and I'm going back yeah. to that wincing feeling I had of like yeah. wanting to hear the fucking bells. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, very manipulative and very like strange and off-putting and it feels normal when you watch because it's like yeah dude just died and it's a movie where a dude dies and you have to reflect on it for a couple minutes before you hit the black screen uh but now thinking about it that image and combination of sound 
it's kind of like the end of uh, the long gray line where it's like you kind of are just rejecting it because you don't want it all to be real. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can't mourn properly because there's that sense of wanting it to not be real. Yeah. I mean, you can't mourn properly because the bell's not even ringing for you. Exactly. You know? I can no longer play the guitar. It's a, yeah, it's Ooh, a classic. <laughs> we're staying out of Europe on this month on Extended Clip. I don't want to get into any. Philippe Gar- Is that Philippe Garel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knew he, it. He's great. Yeah, I really, I really want to watch yeah. uh, Philippe Garrel's movies. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of his earlier ones, which are all like good, but I feel like the the later ones I would like more, mm-hmm. especially yeah. that one. Well, <laughs> I think are we gonna go? Uh, we'll go back to the American cinema next week on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we're talking about two American films on the main feed, maybe we won't. But I'll think of something good to do. Yeah, you know, it's it's never it's you know it's never bad to check in on your old homeland. You know, back to basics. You know, burger and fries. You know, at the steakhouse. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. There's nothing wrong with that. If there's one thing I've taken away from this film is that, like, it's important <laughs> to have a national sense of pride. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're going to celebrate that next week on the Patreon. Because through October, we're going to dip our toes in some horror throughout the month. And, you know, on the main feed, we're going to be talking about the Lords of Salem. And that's going to be a lot of fun. But, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, our, our B film for that week is a comedy, Airheads. And I think I want to put them together. How can you possibly do that? Scary movie. Yes, that's fun. I We're going to talk about scary movie. Oh, shit. And I might watch some of the sequels, too, but the main topic will be scary movie. Uh, I, w- I rewatched scary movie 2 recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. Nelly's ride with me over the end. Come yeah. On. I mean, that's a whole podcast in, into itself. <laughs> So, uh, and I also watched Scream last night, which made me more than watch wanting to watch more Scream movies, just made me want to revisit the scary movies. <laughs> <laughs> that is like a nice little time for like the post Scream boom, like 98 to like 01 or something where you have like yeah. these teen horror movies and then you, you get the, the parody movies of these movies. It's a, uh, I like that a lot. Well, I remember not to get ahead of ourselves, but I remember on my Letterboxd log for, I think, uh, Scary Movie 2, I wrote that it worked, you know, much better as a time capsule than like a horror comic comedy or whatever uh but i think all of them are kind of like that i know the the zaz team comes back uh, and takes over for scary movie three or four or something like that i think three the, through five three maybe? through five okay I'm three looking. sucks i rewatched three it's not i don't know i'm gonna I, watch it but i bet the first one's gonna be money well, i mean it makes me want to return to those cultural artifacts of like the the parody movie mashup that happened in the 2000s oh, yeah. i think it's, that's the real topic i think we're all gonna watch scary movie but i think i might venture out and watch some other parodies too yeah i, yeah, I do need an excuse to watch like epic movie or something <laughs> yeah because i remember wanting to watch those movies so bad Dude. like as an eight-year-old and my mom wouldn't let me because they're pg-13 on the playground <laughs> date movie oh. uh someone said something about that and uh, changed movie to booby on the playground in elementary school <laughs> once and i thought that was funnier than anything that would have been in the movie i'll tell you that much it's like i couldn't even see 300 but i wanted to see meet the spartans even more i i did see meet the spartans i still haven't seen 300 <laughs> we'll talk about it next week 